You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the, uh, wait, oh, no, after the Avengers Initiative, and here with me to talk about those next upcoming, wait, no, this is, like, I don't know, John Mills. Time time is an illusion, Matt. We are talking about (laughs) before the Avengers, after the Avengers, during the Avengers, in between the Avengers, and references to the Avengers. This... This one's got it all. It proves that time means nothing in film anymore, which is, you know, honestly, that's sort of an abstract breakthrough. So let's yeah. give it credit there. There just you right go. Out of there the you gate. go. First yeah. plus for Black Widow, where we have reached our first film in phase four, and it is finally a Black Widow solo movie. And before we get there, we just mm-hmm. want to say a huge thank you to everyone who is listening. We really appreciate it. It means so much to us that you'd spend time with us. Uh, Of course, you can find us wherever you do get your podcasts. And we'd also love it if you would go ahead and hit subscribe, wherever that is. Now, if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere that allows you to rate and review the show, please do that. You know, uh, if if you love us, give us five stars. That'd be amazing. It helps other people find the show. And then those reviews from Apple Podcasts we read on the show as well. You can find us on social media. We would love to interact with you, Air. In fact, uh, as we're recording this, we've got a great poll going on right now, John. Uh, And it's not Marvel-related. It's DC-related, talking about what characters from the DC uh, you know, movies you'd like to see more of, uh, and it's 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 going gangbusters. So anyway, you, again, stuff like that happens on at the six hundred two club uh, on Twitter, and we're also on Instagram. We'd love to interact with you over there at the six hundred two club TFM. We got the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and you can find our listeners-only discussion group, which allows you to talk to listeners from all over the world about every single thing that we're doing here on the network, and that's under the moniker Babel, under the search field in Facebook. You just type that in. You'll find us. You'll be able to join and be able to talk to people from, like I said, all over the world. And uh, you can also find us online at trek.fm, uh, kind of revamped uh, the, the website a little bit to make it even easier to use. You can see all the shows we're doing. Uh, and, of course, if you'd like to send us an email, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. Last but not least, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and become part of our team. Um, we can't do this without listeners just like you. And we're definitely not at the level we'd like to be at, so we'd appreciate you going over there. And plus... What's really cool, uh, Chrissy Morris, who does the main 602 Club show with me, we've been planning here beginning at the end of the year and moving forward into next year, we're going to be doing bonus shows that you'll only be able to get on Patreon. So you've got to be a subscriber through Patreon and you'll be able to get bonus content from us. Um, Last but not least, if you're listening to this uh, in uh, 2022, uh, Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. We're glad you're here. Uh, so, John, um, I want to ask you this this question here, uh, which, you know, we've been walking through this for a long time now, and 
I know that just from our behind the scenes conversations, you know, Black Widow wasn't ever something that you just kind of uh, loved. Like, you know, it wasn't your favorite character or anything. But I, I felt like, you know, one of the things that happened as we continued to talk through the series is you got more interested in the character in some ways. And in our conversations, we kept referencing the fact that wouldn't it be great to have a Black Widow solo movie here or here? Um, so by the time we got to Phase 4 and they were doing a Black Widow movie and she's already dead, what feelings do you have about that? I didn't get why they were doing it. They started promoting it. It was before the world shut down. And I remember seeing the first trailer. And we, we all know that I didn't see far from home in the theaters. I wasn't really feeling the vibe at that point. I really just a quick recap. I felt like Endgame was such a perfect mm -hmm. end point. I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to keep going with it. And so far from home, I didn't see. And then I saw the, the ads for black widow and my reaction was, I, th I think you, you dropped it right there. Isn't it too late for this? I, I don't, I don't, a prequel should have, a specific purpose, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. A prequel tells the story of Darth Vader when he's a child and, and growing up to adulthood. And while I know that it's a, an exercise in dramatic irony, there's a specific story that's being forwarded. It's just the earlier chapter that I didn't read. And from the very first trailer, I looked at it and I said, I didn't get that feeling. This isn't something where I feel like this is going to be that puzzle piece that comes in and reveals to me what I was missing in the previous Marvel saga. And my my feeling very much was that they they missed their opportunity, that the, this was too little too late, in a sense, just from the get-go. And then, of course, it winds up getting delayed a billion right, times right. and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I felt the exact same way you did, um, in that and of course you know I, I did see it when it came out and you know what's interesting is that by that point um, a movie had already come out called Red Sparrow which is based off a book series it starred uh, oh, that's you right. know, yeah. um, first female action hero of our time uh, Jennifer Lawrence um, and so really really great <laughs> to, to see that but what but, was what was interesting is yeah please, okay. please explain to everybody uh, the yes, joke there. Uh, Jennifer <laughs> yeah, Lawrence yeah. came out and said when she was making uh, the Hunger Games it was basically the first female action hero ever on screen basically um, and so yes making fun of that anyway so there you go. Uh, Red Sparrow was basically this kind of story. Like, she's basically a black widow and, you know, trained in that same type of thing um, in seduction and espionage and all that stuff. And that came out. It's It was rated R. And, you know, I read that series, that book series. I saw the movie and it felt like, okay, this is everything basically a black widow movie should be, uh, except that, you know, we're, we're not we're not with black widow and you know I, I think uh the other thing that you mentioned was coming after endgame you know natasha died so why would we be kind of going back to tell part of her story when 
her story for us as fans is kind of known. Like there's 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 um there's not a lot it seems like to add to that. So to me, I, I agree with you. It it definitely seemed like they had missed the boat. You know, you had waited so long, you'd waited so long, you'd waited so long, you kept pushing it off, and and now you just you missed the train. And and missed the, tra- missed the train very badly because as early as 2004, there was a Black Widow film in development. And when uh, the rights revert to Marvel and uh, – or Marvel Studios, I should say, when they hired Johansson, they, they were talking about a Black Widow solo film from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it takes a decade to get there. And it will always puzzle me. It doesn't make sense any sense why it took this long to get here mm-hmm. i don't understand why and on top of that to speak also to to other things if you're going to have a prequel we had heard reference to the the budapest mm-hmm. adventure right. all of those times why wouldn't this movie be black widow meeting up with hawkeye and that way you have the tie yeah. into the avengers and Fine, you can sit there and you can say, well, then Hawkeye is there and he's an equal build character and this is supposed to be Black Widow's story. But at the same time, we've had previous movies to this where we have another event as recently as Thor Ragnarok. It's Thor's movie, but we have another Avenger there as part of the story. We have Hulk there. And nobody thinks of Thor Ragnarok as Hulk's movie. But Hulk is in the movie, so why couldn't we have a Black Widow movie that explains that whole dynamic to us and then does feel like it has a little more story weight so far as it goes in terms of why you would bother with a prequel to begin with? Yeah, I, I think um, that's something that's that's really uh, been frustrating to me uh, with this just because as well I feel like you know, this is a character that was very important, obviously, to the uh, Avengers saga. You know, I mean, when when you get to the end and you see what she does at the end of that, you know, story for her, you know, she's pivotal for them to be able to beat Thanos in the end. And 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 she's one of the very few heroes that actually makes the ultimate sacrifice to uh, allow that to happen. And so. I wanted to ask you this, too, because obviously this movie, uh, even from the beginning and the credits uh, towards the story that we actually tell here is about people uh, and especially men misusing women for their own gain. Right. And and being used for others purposes. Mm-hmm. I was struck by rewatching this movie, how ironic it was that that's the story they're telling here with the black widows not just our black widow that we've known in the sense that hasn't that been the story of natasha pretty much the whole time for the most part of being used for other people's stories rather than clearly just her own like it seemed very ironic to me that yes she does get her own story but the majority of movies that she was in, especially at the beginning, had more to do with her being a part of building somebody else's story rather than her own. I completely see what you're saying. So everybody knows or gets reminded, this is my first time watching 
Black Widow. So this is a rewatch for you. This is a first time watch for me. And everything from this point forward for me, everything since Falcon and the Winter Soldier is always going to be a first time watch for me. So join in, kids. Hope it's fun. Uh, Yeah, I I completely see what you're saying there, that the character has been put in that position of always being leveraged to tell somebody else's story. And then obviously this is not functioning as a meta criticism of what Marvel itself did with the character. So, yes, it is. I I would agree with you. It's ironic. They they sort of make a meta self-commentary without realizing it. But I can tell you here on my first time watch, it does not convey its points very well or clearly. Um, I think that it's unfortunate that they did not spend more time making a conscious decision to lessen the scale of the movie. And instead of trying to match later Avengers movies and Endgame itself with giant CGI set pieces, instead would have kept it smaller. And I think that keeping it smaller would have benefited this movie greatly because we would have been able to focus very intensely on that thematic point that you're talking about. I I would offer... On your rewatch, would you agree with this first-time viewer saying they lost their point in the shuffle? They became so obsessed with the spectacle that they overshadowed a point that could have resonated very strongly with the audience. Because I can tell you, walking out of my first viewing, you're you're laying that out there, and I'm saying, yeah, you're right. And at the same time, I'm saying, but they didn't do a good job of putting that across. Yeah. I I do think that what you're asking for is 100% legitimate in the sense that if you want that point to be the point that people kind of come away with, with this film, um, then you need to make sure that every single thing that you're doing in the movie kind of builds towards that point. Um, You know, uh, obviously this movie takes a lot of its inspiration from something like Winter Soldier. Uh, There's a lot of that influence here in the film, Um, even with the way that the Russo brothers structure their films where they have, you know, the big title cards and, uh, you know, even the beginning of the film feels very much like that, I think, um, in just kind of a more gritty, down-to-earth, realistic, very, um, I think... uh, close drama right uh, that 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 beginning of the movie is like that and then i think you're 100 percent right that as the movie goes on it continues to kind of add all of these layers to which i think hurt them the point if if that's what you're trying to make um you know which is an important point too because you know and i think it makes me frustrated because there is a massive problem in the world that we live in with human trafficking Right. Um, And Mm -hmm. uh, I think to use a movie of this um, weight and caliber in the sense of the thing that a lot of people are going to see to get people to really be thinking about um, the way in which, you know, young girls, young people in general are being trafficked uh, at a terrible rate, even within the United States. Uh, is is definitely something to to focus on, 
and the, the fact that that isn't really the sole focus of the film, I think does a disservice to that theme in the first place. So I I definitely agree with you on that. And it it does make lead me to ask you then the movie we start off, you know, with that story about the girls as children, you know, with their quote unquote parents uh, in a very Americans style sense, you know, the show with uh, Carrie Russell. Um, and it's basically the same setup uh, type of setup. You know, they're there to infiltrate America and they're there to steal something. We don't know what it is until later on in the film. Um, and then, of course, they have to escape. And so as you came into the movie, what did you think of that just first, you know, uh, section of the movie? I think it was poorly paced and structured, should have been longer. And it I don't think it was an effective way to toss people in. I think you needed more time there. I, I immediately come at this movie from a structural standpoint saying that I can in retrospect sit down and look at it from a hundred different angles and say, this part should have been longer. We should have started off. Honestly, I think we should have started off with Natasha's fall and having her life flash before her eyes and have that be the intro point. So we immediately come back to Natasha as she's literally falling to sacrifice herself. And this entire movie becomes her life flashing before her eyes. That becomes instantly more engaging. And I think that this is not engaging enough because it's, and this is a problem with so much of this movie is it's so inevitable who's going to survive. And I know David, I know that nobody's in any danger in this opening part. None. Well, that's no fun. If nobody's in any danger, I don't feel any emotional investment with the characters. And I I think that it gets so over the top in terms of scale again. Oh, we have to have a big action sequence just to have them disappear in the middle of the night. And it's emotionally traumatic and they have some moments and Natasha goes on the run and she, she learns that her parents aren't who they said they were. Why do we have to have this big chase with the gun battle and finding out that her dad's like, it, it just, it's so overblown. It honestly, Play this opening plays like it was a, a an interesting opening, and then a ton of studio notes came in that said, "No, no, no, we need we need this, we need that, we need this, we need that." And the writer and director said, "Okay, we'll put that in." See, I I think I think the idea is good, but I think that if you're going to be mimicking basically the Americans, that you hit the nail on the head in the sense that this needs to be smaller and more intimate. And, and I would say even grittier than it is right. Um, because of the reality of what's happening, I think the, 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 the real issue with the movie is that it never truly wants to make, um, it never want to, it never wants to make Alexi, um, or, Melina, true villains as they actually mm-hmm. are. The, you, you know, the, the, I think that that's the 
one of the biggest issues with this film. And, uh, you know, we, we play upon the fact later on that they are, you know, responsible for these things. And then they, they look to make right on it. But I think at this point in their lives that they would just be much more hard edge and less caring. Um, and, especially when they get found out and this is about survival uh, for them. And, you know, I, I think it just would have been even stronger to have the girls left in a place where not only has their family been destroyed, quote, you know, like quote unquote family been destroyed, but that it's left in complete and utter shambles in the sense that they believe them to have never cared about them. So then the work you do later means more. Um, and so, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a, it, the concept is a good concept for the start of this film. I think that, you know, um, it just, um, it doesn't end up, doing what they want it to do. And I think a big part of that um, is they're, at, they're not willing to go for it in the same way that Winter Soldier was just able to go for a tone and completely stick with it. Um, this mm -hmm. is a movie that needs that exact same type of tone. And they, they won't, they won't stick with it because uh, even even what they're trying to do with the credits with, you know, Nirvana smells like team spirit cover there. Like all of that is okay, also you, meant to kind of like go with that type of tone. But it it's just it, it just doesn't feel consistent here. Here. Here's the here's the difficulty, right, is this this is a difficult movie to talk about because of decisions like that. I'm I'm going to go ahead and throw something out there that that will probably make a ton of people roll their eyes. But this is the same sort of thing that Captain Marvel ran against, where I'm I'm a bit older than than some people out there. There, there are people younger than me in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, having gone through the 90s in a very... I was very conscious of the 90s. I was very, very conscious of the 90s. I was older than you in the 90s, in fact. It, there, There is a... There's a very weird vibe that a movie like this gives off about the 90s. Same thing happened with Captain Marvel, where there's this lens that it looks at it through where it's bizarre because it's like having uh, double vision where you, you sit there and you say that this isn't, this doesn't fit, this doesn't work for the vibe you're trying to throw down. And I don't, I, I know that I also wind up being very critical of the choice to use this reinterpreted version of smells like teen spirit because it doesn't root you in the time period. There's no point to it other than being kitschy. Mm -hmm. Uh, the way that one band that, uh, that, that covered boys in the hood in that ironic frat boy mm -hmm. way, which, you know, honestly I have my own problems with because NWA was doing a specific thing with that, but there, you, like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's this, there's this weird thing where it's like having this reinterpreted version of the song doesn't convey anything mm -hmm. except hipsterness, I guess, or saying, wouldn't it be cool if? Whereas, if you just dealt with it straight, which is 
again, what I think gets to the way they come at it, instead of having this big overblown thing, think of a smaller thing where she winds up having to see her, the guy she thinks is her dad, murder someone in front of her so that they can get away because the guy figured it out. And and he murders him and is like, okay, we got to leave now. That's a much more emotionally resonant, shocking thing. Yeah. Instead of, oh, look, here's generic plane escape with man on wing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and Black Widow is supposed to be the character without superpowers. But throughout this entire movie, right. there's absolutely no embrace of that. She might as well be Iron Man. Like, what the hell? I, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to get worked up about that. But, like, it's very difficult for me, I think, also to talk about this movie because... I'm going to too easily come across as somebody who's just hammering on it. But yeah, that's where I'm at with it. And it's it's difficult because I think that there will be plenty of people that say, oh, no, I don't feel that strongly about it. And other people might come at it from, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But there are so many missteps here with the way this movie is structured. 35 minutes in to my very first viewing, I was checking my phone for the time saying to myself, how long do I have left to go? And seeing the 35 minutes up there and saying, Oh no. Oh, Oh goodness. No, I got to know from you. Rewatching it. Did you get that? Were you checking your watch? Were you looking at the time being like, okay, when are we going to get through this? Or were you, Mm-hmm. engaged at a point where you were like, no, 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 you know, it's fine. No, I, I, I rewatched the movie with my wife and the, the movie's too long. Um, and what's crazy is that it's the, the movie is actually only two hours and then there's the credits, um, which is like 10 minutes credits. Um, and then of course the, the end credit sequence. Um, but it's, The problem with this movie is that it needs to be tightened up. It needs to be shorter. Uh, and it, and and part of that has to do with it, it needs to be a much more cohesive w- tonal work. And if you did that, you know, a tight 145 would have would have helped, which would have, I think, cut some of the fat out of it and would have helped the film. But I think... The biggest problem I come to with the runtime, John, in the end as well, is that, you know, this movie takes place after Civil War, which if this movie had come out after Civil War, I just might care about it a little bit more because at least it would make narrative sense and would feel like an interesting progression for the character because it's building into who she is and and who she's going to be coming up. But it's like by going back and doing this, you know, this isn't, this isn't even like a prequel where you're, I feel like, like Andor, right? I know exactly where Andor is going to end up Cassian, but this isn't like that. This isn't an origin story. This isn't like, there's no real, arc that the character of Natasha is going to go on in this movie. And because her character is is set 
because I know what came before this and I know what came after this. And this doesn't really have the ability because it isn't done well enough to have an impact on either one of those things. And so the length here, like you're talking about, to me is just like a byproduct of the fact that I have a hard time with the movie in the first place just because, yeah, it it's... It's not done in a way that makes it fit within that time period to make me care. But, but see, here's this gets to the larger point of the fact that Marvel coasts on goodwill uh, past its mistakes earlier than this. This, I think, exhibits a or exposes, I should say, a problem with the MCU as a whole, which I think we're both discovering a bit on the rewatch here, although this is my first time seeing it is there are certain ones we come back to and when we're not caught up in the fervor of Marvel, it it's lesser. It, the experience isn't as good where we come at it. Now, granted there are ones like winter soldier where it's like, this thing's great. No matter what, I don't care when I watch it. It's great. But there are other things that we both have freely admitted. Well, we're not really in the, the heyday of Marvel right now. And so it, it doesn't have the same punch. And I can tell you, as, as a first-time viewer of this, this lacks any punch. And I don't even care by the end of it where it fits in between Civil War and whatever the hell else comes after that. It's literally just, I don't know. I, I mean, all I know is that we're going to have a big action scene and it's not going to really impact anything. And it's it's fine. And that, again, in and of itself. I know people love to uh, stomp on the Star Wars prequels. But at the very least, it's a very open and honest and transparent approach. This is the story of how Darth Vader gets in the armor. Cool. That's all flat out. Everything else that's going on is fresh and new and strange. Yeah. Cool. This is boxed in and it subdues its own emotional arc to the demands of artifice and right. spectacle. And that is... That is the thing where this winds up becoming one of those movies where when you read about, oh, Quentin Tarantino says that Marvel movies aren't great for cinema. I watch Black Widow and I'm like, yeah, I get, I get what he's saying. Whereas it, it, when it comes out, if he says that after I watch The Winter Soldier, I'm like, bro, listen, no, you don't get it. You don't understand right. what's happening here. Or even if it comes out, even after he says it after Avengers uh, Endgame or Infinity War, I'm saying, no, 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 you don't understand what's going on. But I see yep. Black Widow and or Iron Man 2 yep. or Thor Ragnarok or Spider-Man Far From Home or Avengers Age of Ultron. And I say, well, you know, Tarantino has a point here. Scorsese has a point. I get what I get what he's going for here. Because the only reason that those movies aren't complete flops is because they're buoyed by the fact that there are things that I love on either side of them. And again, I I, I, I come back to chronologically, that's what really hurts this movie is because it doesn't have that ability because what came before and what comes after it are concrete. So whatever happens here isn't actually going to make a difference 
because the character is already set in stone as to what they are going to be. You know, I think the big difference of, you know, even mentioning something like the prequels of Star Wars or Andor that just came out or any prequel, right, that's done right, is that there is a story to tell to tell you how somebody got from point A to point B, then to point C. And here, we already know point A and C and B because here the character doesn't really change between the point where she was at in Civil War to the next time you see her show up. Great and point. Yep. That's You're absolutely right. a problem of this film. Um, and it's the problem of the film in the sense that what we've been talking about the whole time, it's not tonally right because it can't figure out what it wants to be, whether it wants to be an ultra gritty spy thriller espionage type of thing. Or if it wants to have all of the ridiculous Marvel humor. And by waffling between those two, I think at least in my, you know, just constructive critical opinion, if you had at least picked the gritty, realistic tone, the movie would be better. Would it still have some of the same issues we've been talking about in the sense of what I just mentioned? Yes. But would it be better? I 100% believe it would be. Let me ask you something about about better and about the... I, look, I know that there, there have to be people who love this movie, who hate everything that I'm saying and maybe even that you're saying right here. And I, I don't want to spend sure. everybody's time just kicking mm -hmm. a movie obviously. And we'll get, you know, I know we'll get to the positives and stuff like that, but so long as we're dwelling on some negatives here for a very, and I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording and I want to make it really awkward for you and, oh, great. and mention great. it here Thank during you. the recording. I just, I live for these moments. For a very long time, I've been critical of Scarlett Johansson, not even bothering to attempt a Russian accent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. There? Yeah, yep. Yes. Yeah. True. A lot of people have. However, the varying degrees of success of the Russian accents attempted <laughs> in this movie have made me reconsider whether that was the correct decision and whether I was too critical of Scarlett Johansson. I have to ask you, do you think that the dialogue coach did their job here? Or do you think that they should have been, in the words of the opening credits of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, sacked resacked and then sacked again it is very difficult in this movie because it is all over the place and it is yeah i and we've got you know good actors in this film you know and like you said the varying degrees of success some of them are better than others i think florence Pugh does a pretty decent job um and uh, I think Rachel Wise is is not bad, but David Harbour is just it feels so characterish, uh, and um, it it just which the problem is is that character is also a a character anyway. So um, yeah, I I agree with you. It is definitely something that just doesn't work well uh, for the film in that way, and doesn't really. It doesn't help either. Um, again, I think part of that is is not just the dialogues, the accents not sounding great, 
But again, I think so much of that comes from this up and down tone from like serious to absurd. And one last negative before we try to get to the positives here. I can honestly say as as a bald man, proud bald man, I love being bald. I'm I'm absolutely my if my hair gets to be a half an inch, I start complaining about how annoying it is. I can't stand hair. I hate hair. But I did have hair at one time. I I, pref- I use that preface to get into going back to the beginning where we see David Harbour, who's in a wig, obviously, uh, to play the younger version of his character. How is it that we have all of these CG advances through time, but we still can't get wigs right? <laughs> okay, I, I, I just, I have to ask. I, I need your opinion on this. How can we not get hair right nowadays? It seems as if it's a very attainable goal, especially because we've had Mm-hmm. actors who shall remain yeah. nameless because they might sue me if they ever hear me state this, but very prominent actors in science fiction who have had incredibly progressively uh, advanced toupees through time. I would wonder why David Harbour's hair looks mm-hmm. so bad. Yeah, Sorry, I know that's a very petty thing to fixate on, but good Lord, it drove <laughs> me to, to distraction. Please let me know why know. we're not there. Um, that's a great question. Uh, because obviously, you know, there are some great wigs out there. You know, I think uh, we just watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and all of those wigs are phenomenal, you know, and mm-hmm. you can't ever tell that they're wearing wigs. So uh, I think, uh, you know, you have a really good point there, and I do uh, feel offended for bald men everywhere on your behalf, even though um, I'm, I knock on some wood right here. I've got plenty of hair and I'm thankful for it because, you know, my head doesn't look as luscious as yours does bald. I've tried. Um, so. Hey, listen, man, <laughs> I swim so fast. All that hair is gone. Mm-mm-mm. So one of the big points of this film is actually not to tell us really anything about Natasha. It is to introduce who's going to replace her because, as we know, she's dead. And yeah. so we're introducing mm-hmm. uh, Florence Pugh's Elena. And so how did how did you like the character? This is your first introduction to her. You haven't seen any of the shows that she's been in. Uh, and how do you think she did? Did she make you interested to see the character in the future, which is the biggest point of this whole film? No. I mean, I mean, that's all I got. You ask a, a straightforward question. My straightforward mm-hmm. answer yeah. is no. It's not Pew's fault. I, I They don't give her enough to do, and they don't make her introduction resonate. It, it's it's bizarre. It's it's so much of the emotional arc of, uh, of, of this movie is blunted by its desire to have over-the-top spectacle mm-hmm. that, again... The Winter Soldier ends with a giant, spectacular battle. And it has plenty of set pieces. But it feels smaller. Feels more focused. It introduces Bucky. It introduces a whole bunch of elements and characters and and different things. That's what was needed here. I'll forgive the big overblown spectacle at the end pushing the limits if I get that small character mm-hmm. stuff right. before. And that that's the puzzling thing. They could have made Florence Pugh's introduction 
absolutely phenomenal if this was focused on Natasha and her right. sister. Yeah. Period. We, I think what's what works in the movie with her as a character is that she absolutely fits within the mold of the uh, Marvel one-liner syndrome. Like she, she, she can yep. perform those wonderfully, uh, and many of the things that she says that are meant to be funny are funny. And part of that has to just do with her performance, her personality. She's just kind of got this wonderfully quirky, um, goofy type of personality that is underneath all of that. You know, when she's talking about her vest and like, it's got so many pockets, you know, it's there. There's some there's some funny chuckles in there. Right. Um, But I, I, I agree with you. I think that the issue is that by underserving the emotional weight of what's happening, I, I even think about the farm scene. We make a joke of it when she needs to actually kind of talk about this. And then we start singing a song and then major action, action set piece again. And I think you asking for and wanting this to be a movie that, is more about Yelena and Natasha trying to unravel this thing that destroyed their lives and making it much more intimate, much more kind of, I think, gritty and grounded is really a thing that this movie just would have benefited for and would have benefited the character of Yelena as well as we move her into this role um, because... I don't know if it does a great enough job of really giving us even the reason why, you know, to spoil the, to get to the, uh, you know, very end with the stinger, why she would believe that or like feel about Barton the way that she does in the sense that she would then go after him. You know, um, it, it just, there seems to be a disconnect because we just, I don't believe, spent enough time with just these two characters building that relationship so that when the end comes, which we all know is coming, and Natasha is going to be dead by the end, that we're left with this character that we, we truly care about. And I think the same thing happens, and, and I'm, I mentioned earlier, with her parent, their parents is that we start off in a place where everything is so much more serious and then legitimately they just kind of turn into comic relief when their story is just as tragic and sad and could be like underpinning the thematic elements of the rest of this movie that it's, you know, it's not just young girls that are being used and abused but it's all of these people have been used and abused by this entire system right like mm-hmm. but we don't make that point because we just treat her parents as is comic relief and and that's a travesty because if they hadn't done that i think you could have said some really really important things um and really built the thematic elements in a really powerful way that went beyond when we talk about how winter soldier feels like it transcends just the Marvel universe. 
I think this could have been a movie that maybe did that too, if you had done it right. Yeah. I, I, what else could I possibly add to that? You're, you're right. And it's, it's just a, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I wish that there were some magic wand I could wave to be like, you know, if they just change, there's so many movies that you and I talk about where it's like, well, if they just change this one thing, I'd probably be easier on it. Or, you know, if you just tighten this and so I, I wind up easier on it. But there's no reason why I should feel the way I feel about this. Um, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating because as we go through, and everybody knows as we're we're watching through these things, I had seen WandaVision, gave my opinion of WandaVision on the rewatch. Falcon and Winter Soldier, same thing. And I was, it was sort of reinforcing that feeling of like, yeah, I made the right call to sort of be tired of Marvel. And then Loki came along and I went up pleasantly surprised. And I was like, oh, okay. I kind of dig this. And then I hit this and I feel like it's just undone any of the goodwill that Loki gave to me that we were talking about in the last episode. Like this just completely undid it. If I had watched this at the time, I probably wouldn't even agree to do this this little mini show with you of assembling Avengers. I'd probably be like, nah, I'm good. I, I just, there's so many things that, that we're hitting on. Like, I got to know before we wrap up, like what are the big positives here? What are the things where if you watch this, if somebody said, what are the reasons to watch Black Widow? What would you say to them? Why would they quote unquote need to watch Black Widow for the completionist in them. What should compel them to watch this movie? What is so great about it that you can't miss it? Especially on home viewing. So completionist-wise, you know, this is your first introduction to Yelena. And so I think, therefore, this is important for that. Um, I do think that it is interesting that the movie does finally deal with the past of Natasha... Uh, the Red Room, you know, all of the lore that comes along with Black Widow herself. And so I think those are slightly interesting. Um, you know, I even think there is there there is one interesting thing and the what you do for Natasha in the sense that we see here what she was willing to do to get out of, or at least what she thought she did to get out of the Black Widow program and to end it, right? Which is supposed to help us understand then chronologically why she will do what she does at the end, uh, or in, you know, endgame. And that's almost interesting. The, I think the problem is is that those are the type of places when I was talking about her parents, we've talked about all these issues tonally and all that stuff. It's like that's where this movie, I think, falters is that its strengths are like half strengths because they don't actually – there's good intentions here, and I can see them everywhere, right? 
but none of the good intentions I feel like, in all honesty, pay off. And that's that. I, I you know, I, we've talked all about this, you know, movie and everything, and 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 our, I know we've been really harsh on it, but I think one of the things that if people go back and listen to uh, this this series that we've been doing here with Assembling Avengers. I think we've been harping on for a long time how much we enjoyed the character of Natasha and how much we wanted to see her in her own film. And we felt like that she had deserved it. And to me, I think one of the reasons that I'm so frustrated with this is that I feel like it is a disservice to the character that I had fallen in love with. Um, And it is sad to see that be the case and so i don't know i'm i'm interested because was there anything was there anything for you that you know with your first watching did you see any positives here for yourself was there anything that you came away with and you thought okay i I can see that point quieter moments worked Uh, let me explain there's a moment where David Harbour's character goes in and talks to Florence Pugh. And it's very frustrating. And you find out that he's just not capable of talking about anything but himself. And trying to relate things to him as a way to try to talk to her. And it's a very it's a very touching moment, actually. Because you have two really great actors having a moment on screen. And he goes over and he starts singing American Pie by Don McLean, classic American song, that was identified as her song early in the film. And it starts to break her defenses down. And it's a very touching parental moment. And then it gets undone by this big action thing that has to happen. And it's like, uh, and even a funny way to take David Harbour down. Okay. But a moment like that almost made everything else worth it to get through. Because I saw that moment and I I literally started connecting, despite all of the ill will I had up to that point about decisions that they had made, I get to that moment and I say to myself, if this is the turning point where there's going to be a really strong ending that really hits me, especially as a dad like this, Cool, I'm on board. And I'll leave it at that. Those smaller moments are where this film exists. This is where this screenwriter and this director are comfortable. Where they are doing what they do best. It's the action sequences that completely undo it. It's the fact that I'm so emotionally uninvested by the ending that all I can think is, so you undid the Black Widow program with a glitter bomb, right? I shouldn't be making jokes in that moment, but that, and everybody listening, and you, I saw that smirk. (laughs) Funny. As soon as I said, it's all undone with a glitter bomb, you said, oh yeah, that is what happened, isn't it? Look. Like that, and so, but that's that's the positive I will give it is in those smaller moments, even in the dinner scene that I saw in the trailer 
where it annoyed me that it turned into a weight joke at David Harbour's expense and all of these sorts of things where they're sitting around at the table. It's a relatively cute scene. And I, I, I like it. And it works. Mm-hmm. But that that's those are the positive things that that work for well, me. Well, and I agree with you. I, I, I really do. I, I think those are all the scenes that I found most compelling um, in, in the film as well. And I think all the places where I, I again, I, I mentioned, I feel like I see all of these, you know, I really do. I see all of these good intentions in this movie all over the place. And what I'm wanting is those good intentions to be rewarded um, and to actually see them play out in a way that uh, I think makes sense and fits and it just that's the thing we run into in in the movie and you know you mentioned the the finale which i i did want to kind of talk to you a little bit about before we just you know get out of here but i i think one of the things that frustrates me the most and especially rewatching this movie again it really frustrates me like are you telling me that the red room has been hidden for 20 some odd years because you can't see it in the sky and you haven't explained that it has some sort of stealth technology or anything it's just literally floating in the clouds like what happens on a cloudless day like Mm -hmm. it 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 was places like it, it was that finale made me so frustrated because like this is legitimately, in all honesty, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Because you can't be bothered to spend five seconds explaining to me how this thing has actually stayed hidden, other than the fact that it's just floating in the air. Like, at least they showed me mm-hmm. how the helicarrier stays, you know, uh, undetectable. But there's nothing in this that that mentions that this was undetectable other than the fact that it floats in the clouds. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a very silly ending. Take it off of that pseudo helicarrier thing, put it in a base, ground it. I am actually more invested. Because it's asking less of me after abusing my suspension of disbelief <laughs> up to that point. Yeah. Seriously. Put it under yeah. a mountain. No, I agree. I'm more yeah. invested in the ending. Well, and, and that would make because, more sense. Again, getting back to what I was saying earlier, she doesn't have any superpowers. She's not Cap. She's not Iron Man. She's not Thor. She's not the Hulk. I, I'm not buying Natasha jumping off of the thing to go down and have this fight on falling mm-hmm. pieces of equipment. Yeah. Well... I'm, it's not because I'm, it, listen, it's not because I'm sexist. It's because Natasha is clearly established. And I wouldn't buy uh, uh, Clint going off either. Right. They're not superheroes. That's the point of them being on the Avengers. It's, it's supposed to be more interesting because they're the, the, the average person who's just really good at their job. It's not supposed to be that they're super powered. They're supposed to be the humans where you're like, that makes you believe that you could be on the Avengers and everything. Whereas I look at this and I'm like, this is insane. Not one person sat in that room and said, I don't know, guys. I think we're pushing I mean, this a little too far. What about that time far. where you know, she fell what? off the, the roof and like hit four things on the way down and then somehow landed on her feet like she was a cat? Yeah, I know. 
I know. And she didn't suffer a single sprain I mean, or I broken know that, bone. I know when she takes Whereas her shirt off, we see all the bruises busted. on her back, but... Uh, no, and and, the, and that's the thing. That's that's what people will throw at us is they'll be like, oh, well, you know, Keanu Reeves and John Wick, for the record, in John Wick 3, when he went through a similar thing is the exact moment where yeah. I went, okay, guys, if you're not going to take this yeah. seriously, neither am I. So this is this doesn't have anything to do with it yeah. being Black Widow. This has everything to do with the fact that you can ask my suspension of disbelief up to a certain point. But once you get beyond that point, you're asking too much. But even beyond that, it's because the other Black Widow fell and broke her leg from a similar fall. You've already established that this is a bone-breaking sort of fall. So you're immediately going against that. And I don't... Anyway, yeah. it's just... It's just... I I do think that this is an example of a director who got pushed around by studio notes and didn't have the standing coming into the franchise to push back against these things that I'm criticizing. So it's really weird. I'm not actually faulting the director. And maybe that gets to some of those larger criticisms of franchise work, like the MCU, of any other film, and I'm hacking on the director, with this one, I look at it and I say, oh, that's the producers. Mm-hmm. Feige's fingerprints are all over this. Or whoever, Chapek's brother, who I think I saw in the, the credits. Yeah. Their fingerprints are all over it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm very interested to kind of uh, see where you end up with uh, rating Black Widow. Oh, boy. I'm going to get hate mail after this one, aren't I, Matt? I mean, we both could. Am I, I going to get hate mail after this so. one? I hope I don't get hate mail. Please, guys, everybody listening, please understand. I'm just giving my honest opinion about stuff. It's nothing to do with anything else. One. It's one star. I'll never watch this again. There's, There's no planet on which. There's no multiverse. There's no infinity stone I get trapped in where I go, you know what? I'm going to watch Black Widow. Sorry. That one and done on this one. I'm with you in the sense that um, it's interesting. When I first watched this movie, it was a two and a half. Rewatching this movie, it's a two. And yeah, uh, it's and, and what's interesting is that this actually falls in my rankings uh, as well. Uh, and so, John, if you're ranking all of the MCU films now that we have seen with Black Widow, what do you say? Okay, here comes the, let's draw in a deep breath, uh, because we have so many at this point. Going from top to bottom, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, Iron Man, Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, Loki series, Civil War, Captain America, or Captain America, Civil War, however you want to say it, Captain America, The First Avenger, Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Incredible Hulk, Avengers Infinity War, Thor, Spider-Man, Homecoming, Avengers, Howard the Duck, WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Far From Home, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man, Duh, 
Thor Ragnarok, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Black Widow, and Captain oh, wow. Marvel. Woo! Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Civil War, Endgame, First Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Loki, Avengers, Spider-Man Far From Home, Infinity War, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck. I repeat, Howard the Duck. Black Widow. Age of Ultron. Captain Marvel. WandaVision. Thor Ragnarok. Dang. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. Um, well, uh, before we get out of here, John, just so everybody knows, we got some great stuff coming up in the new year. Uh, we'll be covering What If, Shang-Chi, The Eternals, Hawkeye, Spider-Man No Way Home, Moon Knight, Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, Miss Marvel, Thor, Love and Thunder, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Werewolf by Night, and Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That will be the end of Phase 4, and then... Well, we'll be heading into phase five after that. So that's coming up next year. But thank you to everyone for enjoying Assembling Avengers uh, as we have been moving through phase four. John, if people want to catch up with you, where can they find you? Look for Kessel Junkie on your network of choice. You can also find me on the Nerd Party Network co-hosting two shows. One of them is called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors. I do that with Tristan Riddell and Darren Moser. And, of course, you can find me over on Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast that I co-host with you, one Matthew Rushing. And, of course, uh, you can find me all over the place on social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, I'm also here on the network in the main 602 club feed and then of course you can find me on warp 5 literary treks the orb the artificial tango and saddle up and then on the nerd party network when i wasn't doing aggressive negotiations there's a completed show uh that i did with Drake hoffman called outpost where we talk about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time but thank you so much for joining us avengers avengers